In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to start um, studying the book of Second Kings. Um, a couple weeks ago we had finished First Kings, um, and everyone voted to continue, or the majority did. So, um, God willing, we will continue with Second Kings. So before we do that, we want to just kind of review um, some of the major things that, uh, that happened in First Kings. Um, so if anyone would like to give us a uh, very brief summary of the entire book, go ahead. Now you have to start from the beginning. You have to start from the beginning. What's the first thing that happened? This is not working. David died, okay, and who became king? Solomon became king, okay, and then? And then uh, Rehoboam, uh, Rehoboam wanted to, to become more um, strict, so then there was a revolt uh, kind of among the people, and they split into Israel, the northern part, which was ten families, and the southern part was two families right yes two tribes and ten tribes yeah okay so the 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 north was ten this the south was two um and it split under rehoboam which was the son of king solomon okay good um and then what what happened after that what was like the big problem now that's starting to come into israel the idolatry right so idolatry and the the one who became the king of the north what was his name Jeroboam. Jeroboam. He set up places of worship um, to worship golden calves um, uh, so that the people would have some place to worship and not go down to the southern kingdom to the temple. So he essentially created his own version of worship um, there so the people would stay there and he had his own set of priests and um, who, who, who were there. Okay. Um, that is like some of the major things that happened like first half and then we spoke about many of the different kings that came after that with some other um, you know their narratives and stories um, and then there was a big section on King Ahab right King Ahab who was married to Jezebel um, and they were very wicked and this was also the the, the time where Elijah uh, appears on the scene um, it starts out with what's the first thing what's the first encounter we have with Elijah rain so he goes and speaks to the king and he says god has said because of your sin it's not going to rain for you know until i say right and so um then he goes and he, he, he he's living on his own we we read about how he meets the widow um and zarephath and he raises her son and he gives them food to eat um and then we we follow elijah around for some time um and then there is this big climactic encounter with the priests of baal right so where elijah is proving who is the true god he gets all the priests of Baal, and he, and they make an altar to Baal, and then Elijah makes an altar to God, and then fire comes down, consumes the alt the, f the 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 sacrifice that um, Elijah put, so showing that he is the true God, and then the rest of the priests are are killed. Okay, but immediately after that, Elijah flees to Horeb, which is the mountain of God where uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments. Okay, um, and there God speaks to him, gives him encouragement, continues his mission. Um, and then after that, we read about Elisha, who is the disciple of Elijah, who is appointed to be like his disciple to follow him around. Um, and then we read also about Ahab and the encounter with 
uh, the Naboth and his vineyard. That this man Naboth was his neighbor. He, he had a vineyard. He wanted to take it from him, and then Jezebel had him killed so that he could take um, the the vineyard from him. Um, toward the very end of the book, there is this uh, battle between Ahab and Syria, uh, and um, Ahab uh, ultimately dies uh, at the end of First uh, uh, Kings. Okay, um, so. Here on the screen, you can see kind of just the, the lineages that we've had. So on Judah, we spoke about Rehoboam, and then uh, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and then Ahiza. This is kind of where we uh, stopped. And, um, and you can see that they're all from the lineage of Judah, right? And then in the north, there was Jeroboam, his son Nadab, and then Basha, Elah, Zimri, Omri, Ahab. And then also he has a son named Ahiza. So we have two Ahizas now, okay? So uh, originally, 1 Kings and 2 Kings were written as one book. So this is really just kind of continues from where we left off. There really isn't any time gap or anything between these two books. It just uh, continues. Um, the very last chapter that we had read was uh, Ahab seeking to go to war and calling upon these false prophets who were going to encourage him to go to war, even though they were lying to him, just to tell him what he wanted to hear. Um, and then ultimately he was defeated in battle. Um, and But there was this one prophet, his name was Micaiah, who was very uh, righteous, and he always told the truth. Um, and he prophesied against the king and told him this is what would happen. Um, and it says that the king always hated him because he speaks what he doesn't want to hear. Um, and so at this point... Um, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, is now king of Israel, okay? And Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, is the king in the south. And Elisha is now a disciple of Elijah, okay? And this book now is going to cover about 300 years of history, starting from this point all the way until the captivity, which is the captivity of the southern kingdom to Babylon, which is what is covered all the way through um, the end of the book, Okay? So we start here. It says, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So after Ahab died, the king, the kingdom of Moab, um, which was kind of they were at peace with them, with, with Israel, um, rebelled. Okay, re re rebelled against Israel. And you can see here in the purple, that's the kingdom of Moab. Um, and then the light blue there, there's the kingdom of Israel. So the, the Moabites had been conquered by King David in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And probably sometime after the death of Solomon, they had become independent, but they were still kind of like, um, you know, at peace with Israel. But now when King Ahab died, they rebelled against Israel um, and, uh, and, 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 and become, you know, um, become enemies to them. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. So who, who is this Ahaziah again? Ahaziah is the son of who? No, that's the other Ahaziah. This Ahaziah is the son of Ahab. Okay? And the reason you, you know is because it says he fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria. And Samaria is what? The capital of the northern kingdom. And so King Ahab was the capital, was the king of the northern kingdom. His son is now the king. And so this is this um, Ahaziah. So um, he, he, he injured himself, okay? And he's, he's saying, 
that um, in order to know whether I'll recover from this, how are we going to know? We're going to go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Okay? This god, um, Beelzebub, this is not the same god as Baal. He's a different god, okay? And and this god was was actually known by Bilzabul. Because you might have heard different terms, whether it's Bilzabub, Bilzabul, okay? Bilzabul means god of life, okay? That was his name. Um, but the Jews would give him a mocking name. Instead of calling him god of life, they called him um, Bilzabub, uh, which means god of trash, Okay? or God of flies. And the reason being that they're saying that like, okay, when people offer sacrifices to this God, the, 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 the sacrifice, all these flies, they come on the, sac on the sacrifice. And you know, if God was, if this God was like a, like a true God, he would have prevented the flies from getting on the sacrifice. So like, they called him the God of flies or the God of trash. Okay. That's, so that's kind of like a play on words of his actual name which is Beelzebul, which is God of life. And so because he was known as God of life, so this is why here Ahaziah is inquiring, wants to inquire of this God to see whether he will live, okay, whether he will live or not. But he was the God of the Philistines. So Ekron is one of the five major cities in the region of the, of, of, of the Philistines. And so he's saying, go send someone to the land of the Philistines to inquire about this God of whether I will live um, or not. And it's interesting because the name Ahaziah, his name, right, means Jehovah supports. That's what his name means. But instead of going to Jehovah, instead of going to God to, to, to find the answer he is looking for and praying and uh, seeking from God, but instead he is immediately going to these foreign nations and these foreign gods. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Right. So, so as um, as these people, as these messengers are going to Ekron at the command of the king, uh, an angel comes to Elijah and he lets him know that this is happening. And so he says, "Go and meet these messengers on the road, and and confront them." And say, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to the land of the Philistines to seek from this other God? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. So he's saying, because God is telling him, because you have not, you know, come and inquired of me, you will actually not recover from your injury and you will surely die. Um, and Elijah had this reputation for like showing up suddenly unannounced um, to like perform some mission that God has given him and then suddenly to leave again. This is why earlier in 1 Kings, whenever after the King Ahab had been searching for such a long time for Elijah and then he sent his servant and his servant found Elijah and then Elijah said, I will go to the king and the servant says, no, how do I know you're not going to disappear and go somewhere and do something because he was always being sent around to do these different missions that God would send him. Okay, so um, so so he would always like suddenly, how is it? Elijah now knows that this is happening. He's going to go meet those uh, messengers, okay? For this reason that like Elijah would like kind of appear suddenly, um, the Jewish scholars, they call them Haggadah. Haggadah is a, is a Hebrew word that means bird of heaven. So it's kind of like he is like a bird shows up, you know, whenever he's needed and then he pops out again, disappears, okay? Okay. Um, 
we see also that Elijah is again after we've already seen this many times but it's it's reiterated here again that he is like the picture of a prophet who doesn't live for himself but he he only lives to do the will of God wherever he's asked to go like he doesn't have he, he doesn't have his own thing like at any time the angel of the Lord appears to him and says hey go do such and such and he goes and does it right we never hear from him complaining or or being like, why do I need to go there? Why can't you send somebody else who's closer or anything like that? Very different than Jonah the prophet, right? Like Jonah, when God gave him the, the command to go, he had all these excuses and reasons and he fled and he was very difficult, right? Um, but Elijah was used again and again and again and again by God because he was open to the idea of going and doing whatever God wanted. And this is a very like important quality for someone to have, to be able to be so flexible to where whenever they feel like God is prompting them to do something, that they are willing to put aside what their own comfort and convenience in order to go um, and to do. Okay. So God is condemning King Ahaziah to death. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? So the messengers, Elijah met them, he told them the message. And so the messengers didn't continue to Ekron and instead they came back to the king. Okay, so he's like, why have you come back so soon? Why didn't you go? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have surely, to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So he wanted to confirm who was it that was sent to them. Um, and by his appearance, they, he knew that it was Elijah the Tishbite. And actually, this um, the description of Elijah is very, very close to the description of who? St. John the Baptist. Okay, In Matthew chapter 3, Verse 4, it says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. Just like here, it's saying a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Right? Also, when Christ spoke about St. John, it says, He will go before him, meaning he will, when John, John no, sorry, John is speaking, John John the Beloved, who is who is writing the, the sorry, um, not John the Beloved, Luke, St. Luke. He's, he's writing in his gospel. And he's speaking about, St. John the Baptist will be the forerunner. He will go before Christ. So he says he will also go before him in what? The spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So there was a, a, a similarity here um, in, in both like the mission of Elijah, the demeanor of Elijah, the appearance of Elijah in so many ways to St. John the Baptist. And this is why in the New Testament, he's saying he's going out in the power of Elijah, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And that's why some people actually thought that St. John the Baptist was Elijah. Because Elijah, as we know, he's not going to die. He's going to be taken up to heaven, right? And so people thought that St. John could be Elijah himself, okay? Although he's not. Um, but but the, the there's a big similarity in, in, in their ministries. Then the king sent to him a, man, a, a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on the, on the top of a hill, and he spoke to him. Man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, 
Then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king, now having received this message from the messengers, Elijah is telling him he will die, so he's not satisfied, right? He wants to bring Elijah so he can have a conversation with him. So he sent these 50, this like troop of 50 soldiers to go and to bring Elijah, okay? And they pretty much said to him, man of God, come down, come, come with us. Like they're going to kind of arrest him. They're going to bring him against his will um, to the king. But Elijah's response is, if I am a man of God, which is what they refer to him as, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And certainly this is what happened. So the question is, is why is it that this was Elijah's response? What do you think? Okay, so... Well, they knew that he was a man of God because Elijah was very well known. He was very famous. So everyone knew who he was and all that he had done. He was the one responsible for the drought. And he was the one responsible for making it rain again, right? So so why why are they why did they come to him this way and what did why did why did Elijah respond this way? I think it should be the other way. Like instead of him going down to the king, the king should well, maybe because the king was sick. I don't know. Yeah, well, he was on his bed. He couldn't go. Yeah, but I think there should be more respect to him. So there should be more respect to the prophet. Actually, who is the one who has the greater authority, the prophet or the king? The prophet does. Actually, the prophet is the one who anoints the king because the prophet is being directly commanded by God, right? And, and, the, and when God tells the prophet, you know, go and say such and such to the king, Right? Who is the one who is the, like the lower here? It's the king. right? Just like when Nathan the prophet went and rebuked King David, the king was the lower of the two. Nathan was the one with the authority rebuking the king, saying, you are the man. And then the king is the one who had to respond. So here, the, the problem is that they are coming with the idea that the, the government or the king has greater authority and, 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 and power over the prophet. And because they are calling him man of God, like, yes, you are a man of God, but we tell you what to do. Like, you are, we are acknowledging that you are a man of God. But, but we are the ones in charge, right? You are going to come with us. And this was the reason why Elijah responded this way. Because, because here it is a kind of blasphemy against God, right? That God is the one who is, who, who, who is, is telling Elijah directly what is it he should be doing, and yet the king thinks that he has greater authority than even the, 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 the prophet of God does, okay? He's trying to assort, assert his authority on him. Then he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus has the king said, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. wasn't very wise after seeing what happened the first time that you're going to come exactly again and say the exact same thing and, and the same thing is going to happen. Okay? So he definitely did not learn from the first experience, either the king or the, this captain of the 50 men, because he's, he's, he's doing exactly the same as what happened before. Again, he sent a third captain of 50 
with his fifty men. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burnt up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties, but let my life now be precious in your sight. So what is the difference here? Like he's, he's making the same request. He's still telling Elijah to come to the king, right? But he's doing it with humility and, and submissiveness. He's saying like, like, I am a servant and I've been asked to come and to bring you and, and, but like have mercy on me. Don't let it come to me the way that it happened to, to the others. And, and he is like making the request with, with humility, right? He didn't consider himself to have authority over the prophet, right? But he understood that the prophet is the one who had the authority over him. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Okay, so now seeing God, seeing the humility of this man, um, the angel said to Elijah, don't be afraid. Go with him um, uh, and go and see the king. Then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from your bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place. And the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Okay, so now we have two Jehorams. Okay, one in the north and one in the south. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Okay, so again we mentioned as before that there is these books called the chronicles of the kings. These books are not extant, like we, we, don't, um, we don't have them. But there were these other books that were, they would write down all of the different kind of the history and the things that the different kings had accomplished and done. Um, there, okay. Chapter 2. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. So this is now here in this chapter is where like Elijah's mission is completed. And if you remember, back at the time when Elijah was in Mount Horeb, when God spoke to him in the still small voice, after that, one of the things that God told him to do was to go to this man, Elisha, and to appoint him to be a prophet who will eventually replace him. Okay, he will eventually replace him. So since that time, Elisha, the prophet, has been following Elijah, going around with Elijah um, everywhere, kind of learning from him, right? And now is the time where the mission of Elijah is done. And as we mentioned before, like one of the things that we commend Elijah in, we see in his character, is he did not have any attachment to his position, but he was very willing to allow someone else to take up kind of this authority after him. It's not like he was trying to cling to it or he felt uh, offended or, or, or threatened in any way that there is now going to be another prophet to replace him, but he was very open to this idea and he, he did everything that, that God told him to do. So here we see that Elijah is going to Gilgal with Elisha. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. 
Why is it that Elijah is asking Elisha to stay? And why is it that Elisha doesn't want to stay? Is it because Elijah knows that he's about to be taken up? Elijah, so Elijah knows that he's about to be taken up. So why is he telling Elisha to stay? To spare him the sadness? Or oh yeah, so he's going to do it alone. Right, he does not. He doesn't want anyone there. And why is Elisha not uh, refusing? It was attached to Elijah, right? Because he 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 knew that he was going to go. He didn't want. He said, "No, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to just stick with you." Okay. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, "Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over from over you today?" And he said, "Yes, I know. Keep silent." Okay, so who are these sons of the prophets? The sons of the prophets were like prophets in training. That's why they're called like sons of the prophets. They are like the prophets that are still learning at the feet of the prophets. They are like the student prophets. Okay, so there is this group called the sons of the prophets, and they were kind of like still quote unquote in school, right? The school of the prophets. And so Elijah was like the head of the school, like he was the head prophet. And all of the other prophets were learning, learning from him. And Elisha was one of them, but he was like the apprentice of Elijah. That's why he was the one always with Elijah. That's the one. That's why from the very beginning, God had said to Elijah that you will, um, you will appoint, anoint the, the, the one who will be your replacement. So Elisha is going to take the mantle of Elijah and become like the head of the sons of the prophets, the head of all the prophets. Okay. So these student prophets, okay, are like, you know, they also because they're prophets. So God has revealed to all the prophets that this is what's going to happen, that Elijah is going to be taken up to heaven. So um, they go to Elisha and they're like, hey, do you know that today is the day that God said that um, Elijah is going to be taken up to heaven? And then Elisha, of course, he is sad about it. And he said, yes, I know. But he doesn't want to talk about it. Okay. Um, the, the prophet Amos, actually, he differentiates between this group of prophets and the sons of the prophets. It says, in Amos 7:14 says then Amos answered and said to Amaziah I was no prophet nor was I a son of a prophet but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit okay so it's kind of like like two ranks you have like the full prophet and then you got like the the still learning prophet then Elijah said to him Elisha stay here please for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho but he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So again, they went to a different place. Elijah said the same thing to him. Leave me, right? And because God is calling me somewhere else. And Elisha knows that he's never going to see him again. And so he refuses um, to leave him. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. So everywhere he's going, there's these sons of the prophets that are telling Elisha what he doesn't want to hear, Okay, which is that Elijah will be taken. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So the third time, Elijah is trying to say, hey, leave me. I'm going to go. And Elisha is refusing. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Okay, so now they're at the Jordan River. 
And you've got 50 of the sons of the prophets who are like standing far away looking at what's about to happen because they're all in anticipation of what's going to happen. Okay? Um, and Elijah and Elijah are there um, standing together at the Jordan. Now, Elijah took his mantle. Remember, we said the mantle is like the cloak that he's wearing, his outer garment. Took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that. So the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Okay, so we have them passing through the Jordan River. By what? By uh, Elijah taking the mantle, uh, that and he was he struck the water with it. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, "Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you?" Elisha said, "Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me." Okay. So what does this mean? What do you think? What does it mean when Elisha is asking Elijah? Let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. How? So he's asking for, yes, the same spirit as Elijah's to be able to continue the mission as Elijah did. But what does it mean for him to ask for a double portion? Any guess? Maybe because now he's going to be alone and he feels like he needs some extra to keep going. So is he asking... That he wants to like double the power of Elijah. Like whatever blessing God gave to Elijah, I want double. Double the zeal. Double the zeal of Elijah, okay? So this um, is based on the Jewish laws of inheritance. Are you familiar with the Jewish laws of inheritance? When, when the father would die, they would take the inheritance and they divided how? Among who? The sons. Okay, yes. Oh, the sons. But they w the sons wouldn't all get the same amount. How would it be different? The firstborn would get double of the rest. Okay. So here when he's saying, let a double portion of your spirit, he's not saying, I want to be like double holy or double powerful than you. He's saying, let of all, like, it's, it's like saying your spirit your your prophetic spirit, your, you say you're the zeal, every, all of that, is going to be like kind of handed down to all of the sons of the prophets, all of the prophets. But I want, because I'm the firstborn, like I'm the, I'm the eldest, right? So I want a double portion for me, right? Because he is going to actually be the one to um, replace Elijah. Like after this point, we're going to keep hearing all these stories about Elisha. Now, he's going to be the one that God is, you know, predominantly um, using. So in a spiritual sense, he's saying, I am the firstborn. I'm the firstborn of you. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So what was his response? What did he say? 
What does this mean? It says it here on the slide. <laughs> what does it mean that if Elijah if Elisha sees Elijah, what does that mean? Yes, if God allows Elisha to see Elijah being taken up to heaven, then he's saying God has granted your request of receiving the double portion. But if God does not allow you to see me going up to heaven, then it has not been granted to you. See, some things are easy. It's just like, it's not a hard question. <laughs> okay. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So this chariot of fire came up on this whirlwind of fire, okay, and, and came between Elijah and Elisha. And then Elijah got on this chariot, okay, and, and Elisha saw him ascend up to heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. Okay, so you can see, like, the love that Elijah, Elisha had for his master, Elijah, and he was very sad to see that his, his master was gone. Um, but he saw this amazing thing, you know, that Elijah was being taken up to heaven, and, of course, Elijah did not die here. This was not like Elijah dying. He was taken, okay? And we believe that in the end times that both Elijah and Enoch, who were the two people who did not die but were taken to heaven without dying, are going to come again. And the book of Revelation speaks about that there, there is going to be these two witnesses that are going to come at the end times, and we interpret these two to be Enoch and Elijah, okay? Where else do we see Elijah after this? Transfiguration. Okay. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Okay. So, again, I, I, I mentioned this before, like the, that, that phrase, taking up the mantle, right, meaning being the successor of, of someone. Like you take up the mantle of someone means you are the successor. So here he's literally taking the mantle. He's taking the clothes that Elijah was wearing, his outer garment, okay, that had fallen from him, okay? And he went back to the Jordan River that they had just crossed. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over, okay? And if you remember, when uh, Elijah first appointed Elisha to be a prophet and to come with him, what did he do? He took the mantle and he put it on top of him. Right? He put it on him. That was like saying, like you you are you are taking like the, the prophetic the prophetic mission and you're taking my place. You're going to take my place. Okay? So Elijah is, is now this is going to be his and he is going to use it to get back. 
Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So they identified that Elisha had now been appointed by God to be like the, the successor of Elijah, and they treated him now as being like the head of the prophets, if you want to say. He is now like the headmaster of the school of the prophets. Okay. Then they said to him, Look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. So what are they asking? Search for him. Why? Because who knows, maybe he didn't go to heaven. Maybe he just went over somewhere. Okay. So, of course, this was said more in a kind of a desperation. Like, you know, let's uh, may may maybe, maybe, you know, it doesn't hurt to go and look and see. Because, of course, the idea of someone being taken up to heaven in this way is like, um, it's not very common. Right. So, so, but Elisha responded and he said no like showing that he understands that what you know what 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 just happened was that elijah was going up to heaven not that he was just being transported somewhere else but when they urged him till he was ashamed he said send them therefore they sent 50 men and they searched for three days but did not find him and when they came back to him for he had stayed in jericho he said to them did i not say to you do not go so it's like they continued to pester him until he relented and agreed that, that they would send the 50 men. And they searched everywhere for three days. They didn't find him. And then so he's saying, I told you so. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees. But the water is bad and the ground barren. Okay, so they're in the city of Jericho. Remember what we said about the city of Jericho? What, what it, it was never supposed to be rebuilt. Actually, the you know the first time we meet the city of Jericho is when um, Joshua and the Israelites they cross the Jordan River and they conquer the city of Jericho and the, they they go around the city, the walls fall down and they they conquer the people, right? And God gave the command that this city shall never be rebuilt. But then later on, the city was rebuilt again, okay? And so the city is like cursed. And so here you see that when they go to the city, it's like the city is nice, but the water is bad. The ground is barren. Like we can't, we can't cultivate it. We can't grow any food here. Can't drink the water here, okay? And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. For, uh, uh, from it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha which he spoke. So one interesting thing that we, we, we learn about the way that God interacts with human beings, especially when, when we consider this whole thing with the city of Jericho, God gave a commandment, but then the commandment was not followed, meaning don't rebuild Jericho. Okay, so people built it. How is God going to then deal with it now that it's been built? 
okay, so there was evidence that there was some like curse on it. Like the land was cursed, the water was bad, right? Um, and it was making it difficult for people to live there because God didn't intend for people to live there at all, right? Because he said, don't build it again. But yet, even when the people are now like suffering because of the people who are living there who were like um, not able to, to live because of this situation, God allowed Elisha to come and to even heal this water again. So something about the character of God is he doesn't hold grudges or hold on even to his own word in a way where he is like inflexible. He is super flexible. Like in every way that we that he says something and then we disobey it, he like adapts, right? He, he never says, well, because you disobeyed my commandment, everything else that's going to happen from this point on is horrible for you. I mean, if you think like what of the world right now is actually abiding by the will of God? Think about it. What is abiding by the will of God right now? Nothing. Did God intend for this world to be this way? Like he created paradise. Like he created a place where no one would sin. And he said, don't eat of the forbidden fruit. That's the way God intended the world to be. That was the will. The original will of God is this. So from the moment that sin happened, God could have been like so upset and said, because you have sinned against me, uh, you are going to reap the consequences of everything, and I'm just I'm going to completely abandon you to it, and, and that's it. But we see that God continues to intervene in the world. He continues to bless the world. He continues to, to draw the people to himself. He continues to provide for salvation. And every time someone sins, he continues to bring them back again. So you see that, like, he's, he's not so... Um, like, like his, 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 his reactions and his, 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 his condemnation is not something that, like, results in, like, there is no opportunity for repentance or for return or for change or for healing or for correction or, no. But that means that even though while we are living in the world, we make many mistakes, and so we can say, like, we are not abiding in maybe the best will that God had for us. We're not, we're not abiding in the original thing. Like someone who makes a mistake and does something they shouldn't have done, and that mistake has consequences. We can't say that it was God's will that that mistake were to happen. I mean, God, God doesn't want people to commit sin, to make mistakes. But God uses still in the midst of the mistake, in the midst of the failure, is able to still use it to do something good with it. So his attitude toward it is he's working with us even when we struggle to work with him. When we fail to work with him, he still wants to work with us. He still comes down and tries to do something. Like a child is like, you give him this brand new toy, and the first thing he does is he breaks the toy. The parent, instead of taking the toy and throwing it away, he tries to fix it up. He says, okay, now try it this way. It's not maybe as good as it was. It's not as new and shiny as it was, but it is functional. right? And the child breaks it again. So the parent fixes it up again and says, okay, continue playing with the toy. right?" So he's always, God is like, reacting to what we have done to try to save us from ourselves so that we do not have to throw away the toy right and in the sense that we don't we we don't have to face the ultimate and final judgment for everything that we have done although there will be there will be a judgment there will be a final judgment right but there is a time appointed for that but as of now we are still in this process where, where God is continuing to work on us and he help us and to lift us and to correct us and we fail and he lifts us up again and 
He hears our prayers and accepts our repentance. So, so we see many things actually in the scripture that are not abiding by how God intended and what God said, right? All throughout, the whole story of the Bible is a story of people who are, not, are disobeying God always, constantly, right? And then how God is still showing mercy and kindness to them despite. Um, Bishop Caesarius of Arles, he says the following about this, like spiritual contemplation about the healing of the water. He says, he performed a miracle to purify the water. It so seems that the bitter spring refers to Adam. So he's making the spiritual meditation. He says the, 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 the bitter waters that were there is referring to Adam, the early man from whom all the human race emerged and remained fruitless and bitter through his sin. Before the coming of the true Elisha, so the, tr the true Elisha is Christ. He is like Elisha here is a type of Christ in the sense that he is coming to heal this water namely our Lord and Savior. Although the new bowl in which the salt was put may, uh, may represent the apostles, but fittingly we should see, it, see in it the incarnation of the Lord. Now the salt was put in it, namely wisdom, as we read, let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt. So he's using this, um, this event of the purification of the water. It's like he took the bowl, put water in the bowl, put salt in the bowl. So now it's like you have this perfectly pure water in the bowl, okay? And then you take this water in the bowl and you mix it with the rest of the water. And what does it do? It purifies the whole water, right? So he's saying this analogy is it's like Christ is the bowl. The incarnation is the bowl. That Christ took on the human nature, like the water, okay? But he is perfectly pure, and then, so when he became incarnate, he merged with our nature. He, he became one with our nature. Like you're pouring the water, the purified water, into the rest of the water, making the entire water clean, which is how Christ heals the nature of mankind, by purifying us through his incarnation and his resurrection. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him, and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel and from there he returned to Samaria. He's very happy in this picture. Um, well, he's, he's wearing, he's, I think he's wearing something, okay? What did St. Ephraim the Syrian say about this thing? Like, okay, so you have these youths coming up to Elijah, calling him bald head, and, uh, you know, Elisha rebuking them, and in the power of God, like, there is a very uh, clear and, and, you know, like, message, which is do not mock the prophet, Okay? St. Ephraim the Syrian said, It so seems that the attitude of the youths was a fruit of their upbringing by their parents, who bore animosity toward Elijah and his disciples, who proclaimed the news of the ascension of their master, fiercely received by the people in Bethel. The youths did not, therefore, by their shouts, mock Elijah's bald head, as much as by them they meant to distort his reputation and ridicule his claim about the ascension of Elijah, which was well received by the people of Jericho. So he's saying, 
the idea of the mocking of Elisha, it was not like a personal insult. It's not like like Elisha was personally insulted because they said this about them, about him. And so in his anger, he like said, oh, these bears are going to come and maul you. It was more, again, about his role as the prophet. Just like what we saw before with Elijah, whenever the, the 50 men came and they tried to take him, right? The reason that the fire came and devoured them was because they were mistreating the prophet. So it, it wasn't taken as a personal offense. Maybe sometimes when like, we are upset because we have been mistreated, the reason for our retaliation, our desire to retaliate, is not out of some you know, high moral principle, but it's usually because I'm personally offended and upset and I want to get revenge or retaliate against the person who did it to me, right? But this is not what's happening here. And that's not what happened with Elijah before. This is more about what, what God wants is to restore in Israel the respect for himself, that people would worship him, that people would see that he is the true God. The same as when fire would come down from heaven to burn the sacrifice that of, of, of the sacrifice that was offered to God and not to, to Baal. Because he is trying to r revive Israel. He's trying to bring them back to a place where they are worshiping the true God. They are not just foolish and, 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 and worshiping all these false gods. So he is using the, the figures of the prophets as being kind of like an example and a representation of him. If every time the prophet goes somewhere that he must be treated respectfully, he must be treated like in the, in, in, in the right way, and otherwise some calamity is going to happen, it's going to send a message to the people like these people are special people. Like, these, like the God they worship is truly like or he's real. He's not like these other f false gods, right? So that's how we can understand this, right? It's Again, it's not about like a personal thing. Um, it's more about how, how God is trying to restore and revive the whole nation of Israel in the spiritual worship. Um, finally, some people say that the, this like insult that they spoke about him um, was did, did not mean specifically that he was bald, but that he was a leper because um, people who would be lepers would shave their heads. So by calling him bald, he's saying he was like leprous, right? And of course, in the Old Testament, those people who are leprous, leprosy is associated with sin. So someone who is leprous is a sinful man, is a wicked man. So essentially they are like undermining him as being a prophet of being a holy and righteous man. They are, they are undermining him completely, okay, by, by saying that. Uh, no, I I wish I would have known this when I was in middle school and people would bully me. I could like bring the bears and everyone would run. <laughs> okay, any questions or comments? Glory be to God forever, amen. Okay, we can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O Lord, for your blessing in all things. And we ask, O God, that you enliven our spirits and our hearts during this time of the Holy Resurrection, that we experience the essence of your resurrection and the resurrection of our spirits. Help us, O Lord, to follow you and to be obedient to your commands, to see your power, O Lord, over sin and death, 
and to be united with you, O Lord, in your kingdom for it for eternity. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.